Hey folks, Pete Troopers with Starting Strength to give you an update on all available seminars and training camps that we have coming up. We have two seminars currently on the schedule. Wichita Falls will be December 6th through the 8th, and then we're heading over to Las Vegas on the weekend of February 7th through the 9th. For upcoming training camps, on November 16th, we'll be in Plantation, Florida for a squat and deadlift camp at Broward Barbell Center. Also on November 16th in Villa Park, California, we'll be hosting a nutrition camp at the Strength Co. Then over to Portland, Oregon on November 30th for a squat camp at Next Level Barbell. We'll have a squat and deadlift camp on December 7th in Moody's, Connecticut at Anino Strength. December 15th, we'll have an international camp covering the squat, the press, and the deadlift in Seoul, South Korea. Also on December 15th, we'll be back over to Woodmere for another squat and deadlift camp. Our last three camps currently on the list are going to be nutrition camps. So we'll be in San Diego on January 11th at Valen Strength, and back to Woodmere on January 26th, and then finally down to Houston on February 1st at Starting Strength Houston. For details and registration information, head over to startingstrength.com and check out all the events down the right-hand side of our homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. We're here with our friend Robert Santana again. Robert's kind of like a permanent fixture here. He spends a lot of time in Wichita Falls. Uh, they must not like him in Phoenix. I don't know of any other reason why he would be here all the time, but he likes us, I guess. But first, <clears throat> before we talk to Robert, we're going to do our favorite segment on the show, and it's called Comments. Comments. From, from the, the haters. haters. Now, comment from the haters is where the bottom 3% of humanity get on YouTube and just start typing. Uh, sometimes they refer to things that are of interest. Sometimes they're just so incredibly stupid that I have to read them like this. Hey, Rip, this is from E.J. Smythe or Smith or something like that. Hey, Rip, stop injecting your political ignorance. It uh, undercuts, undercuts, two words, your professionalism. Letting it show weakens your credibility. Stick to the topic you know well, strength training. You're a prime example of why we need to get rid of the Electoral College. The health of the mind is just as important as the rest of the body. Think about it. We need to get rid of the Electoral College, right? So San Francisco, Los Angeles, and New York City get to elect the president every year. What a great idea that is. All right, now... Here's Robert Majeur. And this must have something to do with, when did we talk about the clean? This talking about clean instruction? What, what, like was that just a video or what the, yeah. that was just a video we did. The clean, this clean instruction is completely different than instruction from clock of. Any reason for that? It seems like starting strength instruction is much easier to teach. So maybe this is the reason. <laughs> to introduce dynamic exercise to normal people. Is it? 
Maybe. Okay. Oh, I like it when the vegans comment. It's just so <laughs> fucking cool when vegans write in. A vegan diet. This is M space SN. Is that what that is? M SN? Uppercase S, lowercase N. Uh, a vegan diet isn't an eating disorder, you adorable, grumpy old dumbass. Lacks protein, false. Where the do you think animals get their protein from? <laughs> There's some things this individual does not know. A human being, oh no, it says human being evolve, false. We're omnivores and weak ones at that. Move to animals once nutrients become scarce. Also, grain has changed our digestive just like it did the dog. So, again, sorry, Grandpa, you're wrong. Children die, WTF. Where do you pull this shit from? Talk about fake news. A vegan diet sustains life at any stage. And it's confirmed by studies. Studies have confirmed that a vegan diet sustains life at any age. <laughs> yes, we're omnivore. Oh, that's boring. All right, now let's see one more. Shave your head and stop holding onto those scraps. Face it, you are bald, and FYI, you are fat. Scraps. Indeed. And that's comments Comment from, from the, the haters. haters. Okay. Robert, the yep. hell's going on? <clears throat> Thanks for being here today. Uh, we have uh, just, just gotten through with a uh, uh, seminar we did this weekend. It featured you. And uh, our friend Will Morris, we talked about recovery. We call this a recovery seminar when we talked about both nutrition and rehab, injuries, this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. The whole weekend, I was very impressed with the content. Uh, I, was, I was pleasantly surprised. It went a lot better than I thought it was going to. There's a whole bunch of stuff everybody learned this weekend. And it was, it was a great event. It really was. We'll be doing it again here Oh, I don't know, end of January, 1st of February, sometime in there. I think we're going to probably move it to the West Coast next time. So, uh, and, and we'll be releasing some, some uh, excerpts from the weekend's lectures uh, over the next uh, few weeks. And uh, if you're interested in, in these topics, then watch our little, our little clips that we're going to give you from the lectures and make up your mind to, to come to the event next time it's available. We'll either be doing this in, uh, well, we hadn't decided yet. It'll be probably, um, Southern California. Uh, so look for that on the website at startingstrength.com events. It'll be in the events calendar. So Robert, what's going on, man? That question. Yeah. That question. Not much, man. Well, uh, can you think of anything you want to discuss today? 
I think we should uh, discuss the nutrition linear progression we talked about. I think about. so, too. Yeah. I think that's an excellent idea, yeah. the nutritional linear progression. <laughs> so uh, what is the nutritional linear progression? Well, it's this little thing I came up with that was uh, kind of inspired by, you know, something you came up with. The you know. novice linear progression in mm-hmm. training. Yeah. Obviously. And uh, those of you that follow our material are quite familiar with this. And uh, Robert has uh, expanded upon that idea. And uh, want to tell us about it. Well, the uh, whole premise behind it was that, you know, much like training, maybe even arguably worse, nutrition has become uh, excessively complicated. And and, uh, we get lots of questions about what people should be eating, when they should be eating it, how they should be eating it, what kind of food. There's like a million different things out there. And, you know, mm-hmm. this is bad, that's bad, low-carb, low-fat, vegan, GMO, organic. And mm-hmm. I found, much like you did with training, that people are wrapped up in a bunch of minutia that doesn't apply right. to the majority of people that are reading and buying into Mm-hmm. nutritional related products and services they want to buy supplements they want to buy organic food they want to avoid gmo right they, they want to eat vegan it's death by complexity basically essentially yes so mm-hmm. you know when i was when i first started training and <clears throat> reading your book and uh you know getting coached by horn periodically i started That's paul horn yeah the legend the legend in los angeles he's in fact a legend he is yeah yeah it's not a lie no. No. Um, I got to train at House of Horn. Wow. Yeah. Long time ago. Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. he is a legend. If you have access to Paul Horn, uh, can you get a bill ready for him, Bree? For that. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. Uh, so my wheels were turning, and I'm like, how do I? How can I simplify nutrition in a similar manner? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I came up with this thing. And the way we structured the camp yesterday, we went over all the basics of nutrition, starting with calories, um, how we burn calories in training, and the different macronutrients and their purposes. We don't need to go into all that here, but by the end of it, you know, the question that we're left with is, okay, now what the fuck do we do with all this, right? And, uh, you know, I came up with a list of priorities and an order of priorities. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, you know, we can talk about that today. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah. Priority, well, let's first decide how you uh, how you assign priorities to this list. What was your thought process on that? My thought process was that most diets start by taking stuff away from people. I think it's a pretty fair assessment. Mm-hmm. You know, what can you not eat? What can you not eat? Because what do most people want when they seek diet advice? What's the goal? Weight loss. Weight usually. loss. Most of the time, probably usually it's weight loss. Ninety-five percent of the time, it's weight loss. Yeah, ninety-nine percent yeah. of the time, it's weight loss. Shouldn't be, mm-hmm. but it is. Lately, I've been getting a lot of uh, inquiries about bowel uh, issues, digestive issues. That's been coming in more frequency, which is a little different. Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that there's a growing market for that in nutrition, mm-hmm. but generally, weight loss is mm-hmm. the priority. So, you know, you go on a diet. Let's say you're on a low-fat diet. The first thing they say is you got to get rid of all your, you know, French fries, pizzas, donuts, you know, right? Fat, fried meats, etc. What must we leave out? 
What, right. what, what must we be about? And associated with that is, is going to be the emotional cost mm-hmm. of leaving it out, isn't it? Yeah. Because people in food are, you know. We kind of. I think it's probably normal for most people to be deeply attached to food. Now, there are people who are not. People with eating disorders of various types are, are not interested in the food itself it seems as though they're more interested in the effects of the manipulation of the diet in terms of of their appearance or some other do you hear perception. that do you hear that comment from the hater yeah you, you talked about eating disorders right they're typing it right now right yeah visions <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so yeah and i think you know part of that um you've talked about it many times comes from the you know magazine industry or you know yeah 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 i think so i think that uh uh, most people have a primary interest in aesthetics Mm -hmm. not in in strength or or performance i think that uh we've been brought up to be worried about how we look Mm -hmm. and uh I think that years and years ago, this started at the checkout counter of the grocery store when uh, the Weeder organization got its bodybuilding magazines into the slots there at the checkout. And uh, I think prior to that, I don't think really people were terribly aware of abs and and the effect of the appearance of veins on arms and deltoids and extremely low body fat, this sort of thing. But I think that, that... they did a very effective job in in uh, in marketing a set of aesthetics to people that previously had not, they hadn't been aware of. And, and now, I think yeah. we we've still got that today. Well, now it's evolved to Instagram. You know? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. People posting their photos up that they have in the perfect lighting, mm-hmm. you know, airbrushed and perfect pose, and sometimes professionally taken. Sometimes. Yeah, and. Uh, you know that's made it worse because you can go on your phone anywhere at any time. Now mm-hmm. you're not just at the supermarket reading the magazine you're not going to buy. It's all over your phone, mm-hmm. and you know the expectations have just continued to become more unrealistic as more people are doing this. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, so you know when people go on a diet, the first thing you're told is you have to stop eating everything. You have to stop eating carbs. You have to stop eating fat. You have to stop eating sugar, single ingredient foods, all this complexity that you know basically. You're I'm taking your shit away. Well, it it's it's complicated in a way, and in another way, it's it's an oversimplification. I think mm-hmm. uh, single ingredient foods obviously are simpler than multi ingredient mm-hmm. foods. Yeah, you know, like French cooking is very complicated. You know, where you <laughs> take a duck and yeah. you roast a duck. And then you throw the duck away, and mm-hmm. then you take the drippings from the duck mm-hmm. and blend it into a bread, and you bake the bread, yeah, and uh, it, slice the yeah. bread, and then you take the bread out of the middle, and then you take the bread mm-hmm. and stuff it back into another duck that you've cooked over here <laughs> with some goose fat and several different types of expensive wine, and, and then you mince that all up, mm-hmm. and then you make a, a, a sandwich out of it. And serve it on little pieces of bread with a crust cut off, something like that. Shit, I haven't tried you know, that. That's that's French cooking. Huh. Oh, there's cream, yeah. heavy cream, and everything. Yeah, it's good, but damn, it's complicated. Yeah, nobody's making that. Nobody's, nobody's, nobody's making that. Nobody so, in Texas. 
Um, Not nowadays, anyway. So, you know, I think another problem, you know, that could be contributing, that I really think is contributing to some of these eating disorders is our food environment has changed in the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years. Would you agree with that? Oh, yeah, certainly, of course. Grocery stores nowadays are completely different than they were when I was little. You know, you go in the grocery store when I was a little boy and there were two kinds of apples, maybe. And what else maybe. was in there? Yeah, talk about that some more because you had firsthand experience with it. Well, there, there, was, a, there was just not the food distribution uh, was a completely different situation back then. Uh, variety was extremely limited in everything. Uh, now, in a lot of ways... Uh, the quality was quite a bit higher. Uh, for example, just off the top of my head, uh, I think about this quite a bit. 50 years ago, coffee was good. <laughs> Grocery store coffee was good. It wasn't Folgers? It was not Folgers. It was, we had an A&P store here, and that was good coffee. And I remember even... You know, 40 years ago, when I was aware of coffee, the coffee quality was a whole lot better in the previous iteration of the coffee market. Right now, uh, unless you go to a lot of uh, a lot of lengths to obtain decent coffee, the coffee you buy is going to be shit. I would agree with it's that. It's going to be yeah. shit. The coffee market, the the coffee trade has changed. Uh, you cannot intuitively over the yeah. past forty or fifty years. You cannot intuitively buy. You can't just go grab coffee and have it no. be good. There, there's no. effort required, and this is a good point because it's yes. going to come up as we keep talking about this. Because I think this applies to other foods. Yes, it, yeah. it certainly yeah. does. Yeah, it certainly does. We've got you go into any grocery store now, and there are ten different kinds of apples on the shelf. Mm -hmm. How many of them are worth eating, though? <laughs> so what we've got now is. Uh, a more complicated scenario in the grocery store. We've got a lot of variety. Mm -hmm. And variety is one of these interesting things that on the surface uh, looks like it's always an advantage. And it's, and it's not. It's not. Variety is not always an advantage if the fact that there's a lot of variety in, in your ability to make a choice about something heads you in the direction of making a stupid choice. Mm -hmm. Happens all yeah. the time, doesn't it? It happens with exercise, and it happens with with uh, nutritional concerns mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So I think we can both agree that when you're purchasing food, there's a thought process involved now, whereas before, there was a much more intuitive endeavor. Right. We yeah. had chuck roast. We had sirloin steak. We had T-bones. We had ribeyes, we had several different cuts of meat, we had hamburger meat. It was all of very high quality, much higher quality than it is now, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we can obtain quality meat, but it requires a sorting process that previously a lack of variety performed for you, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, exactly. So you could see how this could also contribute to some eating disorders sure. when you contextualize it to weight management. Absolutely. Absolutely. Some people legitimately need to lose weight. Yes. But now that step is involved, whereas, like you said, years ago, they didn't have, they'd just go, okay, eat these foods, 
Right. And you'll lose weight. Right. Now there's a million different things being thrown at people. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just like to point that out because no matter what is done to address the weight issue, there's going to be a thought process behind food. Yes. Do you agree with that? There, yes. Yeah. Oh, there should be. Yeah. Obviously. Uh, one of the most persistent uh, misconceptions in, in fitness is that, and we, we discussed this in our in our podcast of that topic, one of the most consistent misconceptions is that if you need to lose some body fat, your fat, your body fat's up around 30, 35%, what you need to do is exercise to get that off. Mm -hmm. That is a, that's an incredibly persistent myth. It won't go away. The general public thinks that all you've got to do is run. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth. If you do not modify your diet, there's not any amount of exercise in the world that's going to help you out in terms of remodeling your body composition. Uh, and the reason for that is is that exercise is just not that consumptive of calories. Mm -hmm. And you can't make it that consumptive of calories unless you do really stupid things like mm -hmm. run 300 miles a week. Or, or play right? in the NBA. <laughs> play in the NBA yeah. or something like that yeah. that not everyone can do. Right. So uh, in a situation like everyone listening to this podcast is going to be confronted with who needs to lose weight, you are going to have to modify your diet in some way. And you're going to be thinking about it. Yes. Or pretty much. Till, yeah. Till the end of time, because you're in an environment where you can't just pick up food and get the things you need. You're always going to be thinking about it. That comes with the territory of taking responsibility for what's going in your mouth. So mm -hmm. that brings us back to, this nutrition linear progression. Yes. The way I've structured it is I've tried to remove some of those steps in probably the most efficient way possible. And as I was saying earlier, we first start out by adding things because people aren't eating enough of the right things, mm -hmm. right? And some of this leads to an involuntary subtraction of things that need to be taken out without even thinking about okay. it. Okay. So we'll start with priority number one. All right. Protein. Since we're Talking to lifters primarily, anybody who's walked in the gym has been told they need to eat more protein because they're lifting weights. That's right. pretty common. you know. And yeah. people will yell and scream all day long, especially the vegan community will yell and scream all day long about that being mythology. Mm -hmm. People get enough protein accidentally, they don't mm -hmm. need any more protein. Well, if you're saying that. And that is yeah. what we call bullshit. Bullshit. Right? So... That is the first thing people learn, whether it's from us, the guy at Gold's Gym, anybody who works in a weight room is going to tell a new lifter or a new gym member that they need to eat more protein. The motivations tend, mm -hmm. to, tend to vary depending on where you're at. At GNC, they want you to buy more protein. Right. So do you need to supplement protein? That really depends on, you know, how much protein you're getting from your diet. Right. When you start talking to a, a, a person that uh, we're going to be dealing with in, mm -hmm. the, in the fitness industry, mm -hmm about getting more protein, the first thing that's going to come to their mind is what supplement do I need to buy? Mm -hmm. Because they've been taught they need to buy supplements. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, whey protein. Whey protein yeah. is the whey isolate protein is the, is the best quality supplement you can buy. Mm -hmm. But uh, as our friend Stan Efferding has pointed out mm -hmm. on this podcast in the past, can we just not get it from food? Of course we can. 
Wouldn't it be better to get it from food if we could get it from actual food? I mean, whey protein, a lot of people consider whey isolate protein a food, and I would have to agree, I would with, agree that, with that, but it is a manufactured substance. Mm-hmm. It's not roast beef. No. Which is better. We don't know. Better how? What are we talking about right. here? Well, let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah. Is, is roast beef better than whey isolate protein? Well, it's going to have some B12 in it. You're going to get some micronutrients. going to have some zinc in it. There's going to be lots of things in it yeah. that are not in a whey protein isolate that yeah. would have to be obtained through other sources. Yeah. So You're going to get micronutrients. I would yeah. think yeah. that in, I mean, there's going to be essential fatty acids in the iron in the in the roast beef that are not available in the whey protein isolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that on first pass, mm-hmm. we'd have to say that roast beef's better than whey protein isolate. I would agree with that. I would prefer to eat it. I would too. But there are circumstances mm-hmm. that make whey protein isolate. Uh, a viable choice for a, a dietary supplement, and what would those be? If you're not getting enough from your diet, obviously, and by that, because these guys, uh, I get them every time they hire me. Can I just have six shakes a day? And I because <laughs> it's easy. Because yeah, it's easy. Because it's easy. And pe- this is yeah. this is the deal. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Supplements are convenient. Yeah. Supplements are convenient. Yeah. They may or may not be better. Mm-hmm. Well, they're not better. They're not better. I don't. They're not better no. than the than an actual actual food. But under circumstances mm-hmm. that a lot of people find themselves in, a a whey protein isolate added to a shake made in a blender or a or a shaker cup is a is going to be the way they're going to be able to obtain additional protein in mm-hmm. their diet because of the constraints of a schedule or some other set of circumstances that prevent roast beef from being an option, mm-hmm. right? So that's like that goes back to our food environment, right? I think now more than ever, people just eat away from home for most of their meals. And a lot of people do. Yeah. And what's the problem with high-protein foods? They require refrigeration, cooking, cooking. preparation. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, things that are bypassed yeah. by the supplement mm-hmm. industry yeah. for you. Yeah. So yeah. a supplement is a good idea under certain circumstances, but the better idea, it must be said, is for you to eat food. Mm-hmm. All right. For you to drink milk, for you to eat meat, cheese, cottage cheese. It's a wonderful People forget about cottage cheese. I like cheese. cottage cheese. It's pretty good. I really yeah. like cottage cheese. Yeah. I grew up eating it. Uh, we had it at the house when I was growing up. We had it at, uh, back when I was a kid in Wichita Falls Public Schools, we had uh, uh, a really good mm-hmm. uh, uh, food service supervisor that that was the the lady that that supervised the the lunch program at the schools, Ms. McGinnis, and mm-hmm. she did a fabulous job. She did. She was a nice lady. I, her daughter and I have known each other since we were kids, and uh, she did a wonderful job with the with the food service at the public schools. And there, you know, people make fun of 
the school cafeteria food, but there wasn't anything wrong with ours. We had a we had a great program, and we had cottage cheese available to us as a major part of that part of that menu every single day, and we ended up eating a lot of cottage cheese, and it's good. That school food has declined. Oh, I'm so sure it bad. has. But uh, oh yeah. Uh, Betty McGinnis did a fabulous yeah. job, and I, I believe people yeah. forget people my age forget about how good we had it in the public schools <laughs> in Wichita Falls back at the time because it was we had a good we had good lunch. A lot of kids had one good meal a day, and that was at school. Funny story: um, when I was a dietetic intern, I was at Iowa Public Schools for the food service rotation, mm-hmm. and uh, at the time, the state of Iowa was trying to regulate. Uh, healthy food, I suppose, and they had this Healthy Kids Act that they passed. And oh God. do you know what? It always means the opposite of the name of the act. Oh, the you know, the food service director—they got a budget to deal with. So, sure. French fries were a vegetable. Yeah, yeah, and ketchup's they, a vegetable. Yeah, and they got paid for that, that. kind of shit. Just amazing. I don't yeah. think we had French fries. Yeah, I don't remember them. Yeah. Uh, I think tater tots we, were a we, vegetable, too. Yeah, we didn't have yeah. those. I think we had mashed potatoes and made out of actual potatoes mm-hmm. because potatoes fit the budget. Yeah. Potatoes are cheap. Yeah. And, you know, as some of you know, I grew up in the cafe business. My dad had a cafe when I was growing up. And, uh, and my dad was cheap, all right? My dad was cheap. And if there was a cheaper way to do things, then that's what he did. Cheap is making it yourself, planning ahead and making it yourself. Made all of his own bread, made all <laughs> made his own sausage, hamburger meat, and pota- mashed potatoes, and all of that stuff. Nothing came out of the kitchen that was not made by him. Right. Because it, not only is it better, but it's cheaper. And that's why he ran a successful restaurant for, for decades. And... Uh, and I got you know, I, I think that it's probably they're they're concerned with labor costs and all this other yep. stuff. But but uh, uh, not to get too far off the subject. Yeah, yeah. But but the uh, uh, simplicity is uh, uh, kind of circumvented by the supplement industry. Yeah, I think because I, I don't know what the process of making. <laughs> whey protein isolate is but i know it's got more steps in it than just opening a gallon of milk right (laughs) yeah so it's not just supplements so now you have a lot of manufactured foods that you could buy in Mm -hmm. various places that you couldn't even buy 10 years ago right you know um when i first started lifting i couldn't find protein readily at like a you know at a convenience store unless oh no got lucky they maybe had one beef jerky bag there now they got like 75 options for jerky that aren't necessarily all beef right and and they've got yeah. i mean nowadays they're selling protein bars protein chips in in, in yeah. yeah in in convenience stores up yeah. and down the highway when you're on road trip oh you yeah have options now that weren't available at the time yeah the protein bars protein chips i just ate a bag right before this podcast mm-hmm. there's brownies cookies if you don't want to shake up the protein shake and wash the shaker bottle out you can buy a Bottle of pre-made protein beverage, muscle milk, muscle whatever, milk, core whatever power. is available. You know, they, all this kind of thing is these things have have emerged in the market. Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, it's, now, but you have to be able to sort through the complexity, mm-hmm. and just like with an exercise program, 
complexity is not always uh, good or productive. Um, complexity really, at, especially at the beginning stages of any endeavor, complexity is the enemy. But it is yeah. seductive, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It sounds real good. It sounds cool. Yeah. The more complicated the thing is, the least, the less you probably understand it. And your normal response to that is, if I don't understand it, it must be these good. guys must be smarter than me, so it <laughs> must be the right thing to do. And that's not always true. We're doing it all wrong, man. Right. Yeah. Um, so the goal of the, the protein priority is to – basically minimize some of that. So there's a couple things that we do. Well, number one, mm-hmm. I provide them with a list of readily available foods that they can find. Right. So that includes some of the things we just talked about, these manufactured uh, right. protein um, fortified foods. Right. You know, your bars, your chips, your brownies. And then the more commonly, um, the more uh, traditional high-protein foods, so your right. meat sources. And then now you got your vegan uh, meatless stuff out there that they've started making that i you know i get a lot of protein that sort of thing i get a lot of vegans that hire me you know they're good people i've got yeah they're fine but uh i had to find a way to feed them so i had to eat all this stuff and figure out what was palatable yeah and some of it's fine i'd still eat a steak over it but some of it it was fine you know because I'm with you. I have the same philosophy with if you're going to recommend something, you better have fucked around with it a little bit. You first. need to have known. You need to know the ins and outs yeah. of it, or you're going to end up looking like a moron because things are not going to be as you describe them yeah. unless you have personal experience with them yourself. And that's why I laugh at other dietitians or nutritionists that will recommend things that they wouldn't touch. Okay, so, so protein. Protein. Uh, you know, is is is. Animal flesh, things with eyeballs, yep, and a few options in terms of uh, some processed foods that we find acceptable in terms of quality. What's next? Um, how to measure it. All right. So historically, um, nutritionists and dietitians would recommend that you weigh food with a scale, use measuring cups, use measuring spoons, and I always present that option because it's the more precise method of doing things. However... It's very labor-intensive. It's not practical in most situations, especially if you're eating away from home. So I've adopted, and, you know, other places have done this, I've adopted the idea of using the human hand to kind of come up with some reference sizes. Okay. And for protein, I typically say if it's a meat product, you're going to use your fist as your reference uh, portion. So that should be somewhere in the range of... Oh, three to six ounces, depending on the size of your fist. That would be one portion of protein. And that should give you about, you know, 18 to 25 grams of protein, depending on, you know, what it actually comes out to. Now, I know somebody's out there typing saying, no, that's too much. That's this many ounces and not this many ounces. But the, yeah, we're just yeah. talking about an approximation. It's an approximation. And does it really matter if you're 100% precise? Not no, no, no. Yeah. No, because so if yeah. you have a four ounce hamburger patty, mm-hmm. let's say you have a quarter pounder hamburger patty, right? Is that one serving? That'd be one serving. What gets me about all that before we that, end that? Oh, is, all right. This is perfectly okay when we're talking about technology. This watch, you know, my right. phone, these lights, this camera, right. all this shit. You talk about food technology, that's unnatural. That's going to kill you. Right. Yeah. We can't advance food technology. That's just wrong. It's immoral. 
Well, I don't know, man. McDonald's has yeah. done a hell of a job of advancing food technology. Yeah. How long does it take you to get served, even when they're busy? Four and a half, five minutes. I'm trying to think of a line, it takes maybe five minutes if you're five in minutes, a long line. You know, and and yeah. you get exactly what you got last time. Yeah, it's hot. They just cooked it. It's fresh. So, so if you've got a, a quarter pounder of cheese, you've got two servings of meat, and your 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 program at that point may very well call for two or three servings of meat, mm-hmm. depending on your your protein requirements during the during the program for that day. So, ideally, what I recommend most males is two of those fist sizes of protein, or eight ounces, mm-hmm. three times a day. With the goal of trying to get somewhere in the ballpark of 150 to 250 total grams for the whole day. Now, if you yeah. do that, you should be able to accomplish that because you're also getting protein from other sources. Right. You know, you're not just getting it from animal products. Um, and then I kind of give a guide for other types of protein-rich foods. So what I typically say is, okay, it's a fist or it's you know 20 to 25 grams worth if you're going to do it that way because you can't always just use this. So if I go get a you know something at the store like a protein bag of protein chips i'm gonna have to look at the label right it's gonna have the label the measurement issue comes with meats typically right you know milk you'll have the serving sizes dairy you'll typically have the serving sizes but with meat you won't so you need a reference range quarter pounder patty is has how many grams of protein about 20 to 25 grams probably right i don't have the nutrition facts in front of so you get 40 50 grams of protein from a double quarter pounder of cheese. Yeah, and if you're doing that three times a day, you're at about 150 right there. Right, and then yeah, make it up with the rest of your intake. So the, the problem with eating a double quarter pounder with cheese three times a day every day, that's not what we're trying to tell people to do. No, no, that's no, the, it's not that, that, That's the guy on the highway that's right. you know driving from Phoenix you know, to Wichita Falls after a long weekend. Right. He needs to stop at McDonald's. But right. on a daily basis, that's not what we're telling people. No, no, we, no. Obviously, but they're smart enough yeah. to know that. Of course. Except for <laughs> <laughs> these fucking morons. A, man, I am okay. the dietitian that recommended McDonald's as of today. Uh, that just are. happened. You're on you're on record. Yeah, somebody's saying it. On record. Um no, I've the the Items that I've historically recommended at McDonald's to my clients are the egg white delights. The, the snack wraps are pretty good. Right. There's there's lean meat there. So that was the next sure. thing I was going to say. We're typically recommending lean meat, right. one to two grams of fat per ounce of meat. So if mm-hmm. you're eating a four-ounce portion, you're getting four to eight grams of fat, which mm-hmm. is about 72 calories tops from fat, right. which isn't very high. Um, so, yeah, typically I say go with lean meat. Ideally, and we try to kind of drill that habit because now we're mm-hmm. adding more protein into the diet because we know that the guy that came to us is eating about 60 to 70 grams, maybe 100, when he needs to be eating more than that to train. Mm-hmm. Um, the woman that comes to us is eating about 40 grams a day, so she needs to get one fist three times a day since she doesn't need as much as the male. All right. And, uh, you know, by adding that protein, we're accomplishing a couple of things. You know, not, that person's now fuller. So they're less likely to be like, oh, crap, I'm starving. Oh, jar of M&M's. Right. You know, cookie, you know, donut. Because this is what – there's a lot of involuntary eating that goes on throughout the day. And we're trying to – This is largely what's wrong with nutrition science papers. Uh, Might as well just throw that in. If you self-report your consumption, you're going to leave off the – what Robert just called the involuntary eating. Mm -hmm. You're not going to – 
you're not going to report that. And the date is always bad. Uh, so uh, that kind of wraps up measuring. Mm-hmm. It gives us some tools to, to measure the protein intake. What's next on the nutritional linear progression? So from there, we move to carbs. You know, Once you've right. accomplished your protein goal, which is defined as doing this seven days per week, not part-time dieting, not Monday through Friday, and then you're going to eat pizza and donuts on Saturday and Sunday. Mm-hmm. It has to be seven consecutive days because none of this matters if you're inconsistent. That's why I'm not so concerned about the accuracy of the measurement because you can measure something that may not be precisely what's in it, but if you're doing it the same exact way every time, if you adjust the amount... Then we are in control. Yeah. We're adjusting right. the calories, right? Right. Um, just like you said with plates, if you have plates that aren't calibrated, you, you can mark them and use the same plates every time, mm-hmm. and you're incrementally loading Even without... if they're yeah. not 45s, we know yeah. how much weight's on the bar. Exactly. Same concept with food. The food labels aren't even accurate. I think people don't understand that. Food labels are notoriously inaccurate. When they've right. actually... These are actual studies because they're measuring shit. They um, will do what's called bomb calorimetry on the food where they'll blow it up and they can measure the calories that are in the actual heat content yeah the heat content of the food and the amount that they find in the food that they blow up is not match the amount that's on the label a lot of the time there's papers published on this and isn't that fascinating yeah because what data is not actually data interesting isn't it yeah yeah it is so a lot of these um Food labels are based upon um, experiments. You must be a science denier. I must be. A denialist. You're a science denialist. Uh, science I'm good with. Professional research is where I start to have questions. Professional research is yeah. a different matter entirely, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's whole that's, a diff- that's a topic for another show. Exactly. In fact, so. So um, a lot of our values that we see on these labels come from uh, measurements that were collected on single samples a hundred years ago, and then they're extrapolating. <laughs> and they've just persisted. So all slices of white bread must be the same content of the slice of white bread in 1932 or whenever. Whenever that they, first yeah. measurement was taken. And uh, that's fine because we're not interested in knowing the exact content of these foods. We're interested in being consistent so that right. we can manipulate our intake um, more, you know, in a more consistent, reliable way. If you know you're consistent with your intake during the day, and you go down, you've reduced your caloric intake. Yeah. Right. Even if it may not match the exact numbers. Right. Because the numbers are not relevant. What's, not, what's the decrease? The fact that there is a decrease mm-hmm. is relevant. So it's this is why this is a habit-based approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the weekly, th- like the changes throughout the week are important too. So if you're consistent Monday through Friday, and then you're having a complete um, detraction from your calorie intake during the week on the weekend you're now inconsistent right and that's the most common reason people fail any diet is that that lack of consistency when they're out of their controlled environment so that's Mm -hmm. another reason for the hand um, size portions because you're going to eat in situations where you have a little bit less control and i'm not going to sit here and say you need 75 tupperware containers in your fridge that works for some people i've done it <laughs> have you done that rip no, no. Yeah, yeah. i have not done yeah. that you haven't done that dumb shit no i have <laughs> not done that yeah. i've uh i'm uh 
I'm guilty of not caring about it enough to. Well, you told me you did every I, stupid thing everybody. I have not yeah. every except that. Okay, you never did that one. <laughs> except that one. <laughs> okay. Except that one. Well, you know, bodybuilders and these uh, physique competitor people, they, oh, they yeah, do that. They, they try to keep it to a science. And carry around their food all the time. If you're getting a single-digit body fat, that, that's, if, yeah. if that's what you've got to do, then that's the way it's got to be done. Yeah. There is no doubt. Yeah. You have to have that kind of dial in on your dietary intake, and it's going to require that you don't eat other people's food. Mm-hmm. That's know. a competitor we're talking about. Right. That's not, right. you know. That's not this. that's yeah. not even a guy yeah. who just needs to drop five percent body fat. That's a pro. Yeah. Different situation. That's a pro. Different situation outside the topic of this discussion. So consistency. This is gonna apply to each priority. So the next priority is carbs. Mm. And I address those similar, whether it's weight gain or weight loss, but with some differences. I wanna address the lack of vegetable consumption first. Okay. And I think that applies to both situations because the average uh, American eats a high-fat, high-carb diet that's low in fruits and vegetables. We all know this. so And, and, and probably low in protein as well. And low in protein as well. Right. Yeah, 100%. At least good quality protein. Mm-hmm. They might be getting you know a few grams here and there from all the junk they're eating, but they're not getting you know um, complete protein sources from their diet. Right. So... I'm not going to be that dietitian that says, oh, you got to eat a bunch of fruits and vegetables. I try to be realistic here, and I say one vegetable a day to start out. Just a, something that grew from the soil, mm-hmm. right? And then I'll couple that with um, a handful. So this is what a handful looks like of complex carbohydrates or fruit. Mm-hmm. Because... A serving of fruit typically has 15 grams of carb. It doesn't have any fat, doesn't have any protein, but the carb content is similar to a serving of grains. Mm-hmm. So a slice of bread is also going to have roughly 15 grams of carbohydrate. So that's why I kind of put fruit next to the starchy slash complex carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if we're talking about a slice of bread, I say use your entire hand. This is about the size of a slice of bread. Mm-hmm. And you can do that or you can measure. So I say one serving of complex carbohydrate is 15 grams. So what I'll say for the male is have two of those three to four times a day. So a handful yeah, a handful, is 15 grams. Mm-hmm. And this would be cooked rice. Cooked rice, cooked pasta. Right. Yeah. Now what's that going to look like since we're not going to – our mom doesn't let us put her hand in the pot. Mm-hmm. What is that going to look like in the spoon? Well, I forgot my names of my spoons, Rip. Uh well, what's the one? Yeah, Fred the spoon yeah. and James the spoon. The one that Aloysius the spoon. No, you're talking yeah. about a a serving spoon. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, tablespoons, teaspoons, notwithstanding, a serving spoon. The the guy that's you know like that blue spoon in my kitchen. He's got a. I used to know what all these spoon on him about this big. Yeah. That's probably about a handful, isn't it? Yeah. Or like. I think we need chipotle spoon. What we need to do is yeah, chipotle spoon. They serve with out of out of the steam table at Chipotle. That is a uh, I got to brush up in my food service. Well, what stuff. we need to do and here's our uh here we we talked about this in terms of preparation for the mm-hmm. uh the next uh uh seminar we're talking about. We're going to take pictures of 
of uh, what this all looks like. Of what this all looks like, so that yeah. the, so that that we can quantify it, mm-hmm. see to the pants, quantify what what fifteen grams looks like in a spoon, mm-hmm. and what's fifteen grams of rice look like in a serving spoon. So you'll know. Yeah. You know. I think it's terribly important to get that done. Yeah, visual's got to be there. Yep, it does. Um, so I'm going to do that whether they're losing or gaining weight. Because right. chances are they're eating a bunch of crap chips and, right. you know. Did you yeah. like my stew I made the other night? Oh, that was amazing, man. God damn. My lamb stew. That was, that was good. sheep meat. I had. That what, it's one of, the, one of the functions of having a freezer full of aged mutton is oh. that you can make you make wonderful stew that was those, real I good. put two shoulder roasts mm-hmm. in that pot I trimmed two shoulder roasts out boned them and and uh, threw a lot of the fat away gave the fat to the dogs and then you know left enough of it in there for flavor and then just put we cooked that bay leaf salt pepper mm-hmm. little bit I don't even think I put any garlic in there and then uh, potatoes and carrots, just mm-hmm. plain old food. Now, when you're talking about vegetables mm-hmm. in in um, in this context, do you count potatoes as a vegetable? That is a starchy vegetable, so that would go into the complex carb slash starch category. Right. But the carrots would have been. I count them as a vegetable, but a vegetable. the eating disorder people like to think they're a starch because they have because seven the, carbs. The glycemic five, index yeah. and all that. Other it's. Shit. It has seven carbs instead of five. Oh my God, that's a carb. Per, yeah, it's a carb. Yeah, it's a carb. I, I, carrots are a vegetable. There's a bunch of vitamins. It's a non-star- carrot, Yeah, non-starchy they're orange, vegetable. They're beautiful. Carrots are wonderful. Yeah. Bugs Bunny. Everybody he had his head that. out of his ass. He really did. He knew he was fast too. Yeah. Cool. yeah. He was a vegan. He was. But he was cool. He was cool. He was yeah. as opposed to vegans. Yeah. Nowadays, Bugs Bunny was cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some vegans are cool. One or two of them. Shit. I have so. a client who's a vegan who's done real well in the program. Eats yeah. a lot. Yeah. Well, good. He taught me about all these products they sell now because well, good. I had to get the guy strong, Rip. So I just yeah. started eating a bunch of vegan meat substitutes, and it was oh, God. Yeah, it was educational. Well, then I take it all yeah. back. Well, hey, when I was... All of it. I tell everything bad I've ever said about visions, I take it back because Robert knows one that's cool. <laughs> Thanks, Rip. You're welcome. Uh, knows one that's cool. So, yeah. anyway, that all notwithstanding, have some meat, okay? Have some vegetables. Have some vegetables. Have some fibrous have carbohydrates. Some, have, all right, now fibrous carbohydrates. Are you going to? Is that a different thing than the vegetable? Vegetables have fiber in them, but I'm I was referring to fruits the, and whole so grains. The, so yeah. the categories within your classification of carbohydrates are what? Vegetable is one cat- classification. Right. Then you have complex starchy starchy vegetables. starchy complex carbohydrates slash starchy vegetables or fruit. Right. Because the carbohydrate content of a serving is similar with fruit and starch. Okay. Yeah. I've got vegetables, mm-hmm. which are cabbages and carrots and green things, mm-hmm. right? I've got fruits, mm-hmm. which are 
grow on trees or vines, and they're sweet, and everybody knows what a fruit is mm-hmm. when they see one. Tomatoes a fruit. Yep. Right? And then we've got... But ketchup's the, a vegetable somehow. Ketchup's. <laughs> <laughs> so then we've got the third type is the starchy vegetables, which is potatoes mm-hmm. and grains. Yep. And products made from potatoes and grains. So there's three categories mm-hmm. of carbohydrates, mm-hmm. right? Corn would be in that third one, too, and right. peas. Corn, peas, beans, mm-hmm. beans. That one of the most hilarious things. Beans in a weird category. Beans with in a weird category if, you, or if you're the food pyramid because the government is fond of saying meats and beans, meats or beans, like they're equivalent creatures. Legumes are in the, yeah. And I'm sorry, yeah. they're not. Yeah. Legumes. <laughs> Legumes are not meat. <laughs> no, they're not meat. They grow. They're, they're not high protein. They're high starch, and they've got a bunch of goofy-ass starch in them that make people fart. Meats and beans. Uh, they can't say it if it's not true. That's right. They can't say it if it's not true. That's how we say it here in North Texas. You can't say it if it's not true. Okay. Except that it's the government. <laughs> they can say whatever they want. They say whatever they want, and they yeah. do all mm-hmm. day long. Oh, yeah. Meats and beans. It's not the same thing. And I don't think that uh, – I think that you need to quit thinking of them as the same thing because they're not equivalent. Why do they – why do they want them to be the same thing? Why do they want them so bad? Because there's seven grams of protein per serving of beans or legumes, and there's seven grams per ounce of meat. So but the that, quality that, of the protein is so completely different. Of course. That it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing, It's no. not the same thing. Oh, God almighty. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Meat or beans is a creation of the government, and it's not useful for our purposes. Right. All right. So those are the three types of carbohydrates. Now. So what we've accomplished here is. We've got we protein. We've got enough protein. Now, because we're eating vegetables and high fibers, whole grains, mm-hmm. uh, and fruits, we're, we're getting more fiber. We're getting more fiber. We're getting some protein. Yeah. From some lower quality protein from from our our carbohydrate mm-hmm. division, mm-hmm. even though it does generate into the, the macro protein into yep. the into the diet and more water, right? What does this accomplish? Now you're a little bit fuller, right? Your more room is occupied in your stomach. Less involuntary eating. That's what I'm thinking about. Right. So when you feel like you've got enough food in your stomach, that's satiety. Yes satiation mm-hmm. is the is the persistence of the of the feeling of satisfaction from the meal right so and, after and, and so different foods produce different levels of both of these things for example yes. chinese food is famous for going away within an hour so a cereal right? yeah. yeah yeah you could just keep eating it nonstop. right um so protein has the greatest effect on both on, of them. On satiation. On satiation, yes. Right. And then carbs would be next. Mm-hmm. Protein's the most satiating. Then fat. Because it, it's persistent in the gut. Yeah. Because it takes a long time yeah. to digest a protein, yeah. and protein digestion yeah. primarily takes place in the stomach. Yeah. Then that's fa- the first parts of it. Yep. Do, and, that's, and so, in other words, the, the gut holds, the stomach holds 
a protein bolus until a lot of that because you got to dena- you got to denature it you got to denature it you break got, it apart the acids mm-hmm. stomach acid the hydrochloric acid in the stomach and yeah. enzymes that are secreted into the into the stomach to break that shit apart to break that shit apart and it holds it there until those processes are largely completed and then which, it then it allows it to move into the small intestine which takes much longer than something like cereal or candy right. you know right. sugar that's sure. going to break down a lot faster the next uh macro uh, on the satiation hierarchy would be fat so fat's more satiating than carbohydrate protein is more satiating than fat right um and then carbohydrate i would divide that i'd say that if it's high fiber it's going to be more satiating than if it's just pure sugar right and foods that are high in fiber also have a high water content Mm -hmm. so that also contributes to that satiating feeling to satiety yeah the feeling of fullness yes yeah right Fat. Fat. All right. That's the last one That's I address. That's the last one we address in the nutritional linear progression. Fat. What do we do with fat? We have there, the interesting thing about fat is that there are essential fatty acids. Mm-hmm. And fatty acids, we'll talk about those in a minute. There are no essential carbohydrates. There are essential proteins, essential amino acids. There are essential fatty acids but there are no essential carbohydrates and this has implications for the construction of our dietary program Mm -hmm. so with fat you typically don't have to think about it to get enough fat in your diet there's usually enough accidentally in the protein nobody's accidentally eating low fat right that's just not happening it's very difficult to do that right um so by the time we've gotten enough protein in the diet from the high protein sources, we've gotten vegetables in the diet, we've gotten more fiber in the diet through complex carbohydrates and fruits. Now we've accomplished all this for seven days in a row, week after week after week. This person has a pretty balanced diet at this point. Mm-hmm. Then we move to fat. So if they're losing weight, that's the first thing we're going to pull because it contributes the least to performance under the bar. Because we want this right. person to continue to train and make progress. So. To train, you have to have carbs, right? Yeah. It's hard to train on keto. Very. Uh, it's a it's perfectly good option. It's fashionable. A, it's fashionable, and it's a good option for a sedentary person to lose a bunch of body fat. Mm-hmm. The Adkins diet, I've said this several times, Adkins diet, if you're sitting around on your ass, you can lose a bunch of body fat on Adkins mm-hmm. because – you automatically eat fewer calories because you are not hungry. But start training. You can't train on a low carb diet. You can't do it. You can't get recovered. Because there's just not enough that's just the way that the metabolic processes work. Right. If you're lifting weights, you're using up a bunch of creatine, you're using up a bunch of glycogen. Mm-hmm. You can't effectively burn fat. You're burning some because these energy systems are not all or nothing. They're all active right. at the same time. But you're not gonna tap into fat stores during, you know, heavy right. set of squats. You're just not more importantly, you're gonna be sore all yeah. the time. Yeah. Because of the contribution of carbohydrate fraction to the recovery process mm-hmm. and uh so we're talking if we're training and we're, we're assuming you're training mm-hmm. we're talking about the the sacrifice come up uh, in in terms of total calories coming from the fat portion there's a couple benefits to that number one you can pull more calories 
with mm-hmm. less food out of your diet because right. the caloric density of fat is over twice that of carbs. Yeah, you can yeah. eat more food in terms of satiety. You can fill your stomach easier with a low-fat diet and perceive that you have have eaten enough food to to satiate your hunger and uh this is it's more satisfying to do it like that, that that's the whole origin of the whole ornish diet where you know the, the title of the book said eat more eat more way less you know right. that's kind of where it comes from you're getting more food volume for the same number of calories right if you're on a low fat versus a high fat you're going to get less food for the same number of calories right. on a high fat and the old standby bodybuilder diet, chicken breasts and rice. Mm-hmm. You get full on chicken breasts and rice. You just don't stay that way very long. So there's the satiation right. thing, right? Right. You it's t- the satiety, but not good satiation. Yeah, because right. then you're hungry. Since you don't have the fat, you're hungry every few hours. Right. And it's a common uh, complaint you hear from bodybuilders or people that train that way is mm-hmm. that they're constantly hungry when they're doing that. Right, even though they're eating a lot of food. Yeah. But if you like to chew a lot, you know, it's a pretty good diet. Mm-hmm. But if you're training, it's the best way to go. Because you're, you're getting the carbs and you can yeah. actually train on the carbs. You're going to bend the curve of that performance loss mm-hmm. that may occur. Now, a novice shouldn't lose as much. You know, an overweight, obese novice should still be able to get stronger. Right, sure. Yeah, so we got to clarify that, who we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. An intermediate, intermediate advanced lifter is going to get weaker at some point on a diet because he's just so far along the adaptation curve right. that everything has to be present. In order, in terms of recovery, to facilitate more progress, you start pulling resources away. He's going to suffer. Right. But the not overweight novice is not in that situation. He doesn't have anything to worry about in no. terms of uh, performance decrement. Uh, so, let's explain the fats. Then mm-hmm. there are essential fatty acids. What is a triglyceride? What's a fatty acid? Triglyceride is. You've seen, you've seen this on your blood test. Yeah. Okay. Triglyceride is composed of fatty acids and glycerol mm-hmm. backbone, right? Right. And that floats around in your blood, and it's also stored in your fat stores. So when we're yeah. talking about dietary— it's a storage form of yeah. fat. Yeah. When we're talking about fat, we're talking about triglycerides. Right. Yeah. We're talking about fat macro fat. Yeah. We're talking about yeah. triglycerides because yeah. that's the form in which, unless you're, we're talking about oils— Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about eating animal fat. We're talking about eating triglycerides, which are composed of fatty acids. Mm-hmm. Three, is it? So and that, and that's worthy. Tri, the and then glycerides. Yeah. So there's three. Yes, three fatty three acids, acids and a glycerol backbone. To a glycerol backbone, and that's a triglyceride. So let's demystify that. And You've all seen this on your on your blood test, and it, it's a measure of the circulating amount of triglyceride in your bloodstream. And the energy that's extracted from fat comes from the fatty acids, not from the glycerol. Right. So that's I think that's where you were going with So yeah. yes, when the when the molecule breaks down, the fatty acids are the things that compose the lipids in your diet. Mm-hmm. So a fatty acid is a long chain of could be medium, could be short too. Could be yeah. well, but it, yeah, all right. So it's yeah. a, either a long, medium, or short chain of Carbon atoms mm-hmm. with hydrogen mm-hmm. on either side of them. And then, once we are talking about fatty acids, now we're talking about saturated or unsaturated. Mm-hmm. And that refers to whether they 
are hydrogenated or not. So whether they have hydrogens attached to them or not and the structure of the chemical bonds, which we don't need to go into here. So the fatty acids are the individual lipid components that are attached to the attached to the triglycerides, and all of those are broken down, and the fatty acids are used as uh, as fuel for the oxidative metabolism that we do on a on a daily basis all day long. What you're doing the, right now? What I'm doing right now? What yeah. everybody's doing all day long? They're the the basis of the generation of ATP for your energy systems and uh, the fats produce basically energy all day long Mm -hmm. you have a lot of stored fat some of us have quite a bit of stored fat and we can um, subsist on the metabolism of fatty acids and that's the the basis of all of our energy systems Fats are extremely important in terms of of bioenergetics. But since we have a bunch of fat stored on us already, Mm -hmm. and since fats are very, very good at generating stored ATP already, then they are the things we can pull out of the diet in order to create a lower amount of caloric intake. And that's, I think, what the basis of this this particular type of dietary modification is. Now, there are some essential fatty acids. Mm -hmm. Talk about those. So you have your omega-3s, which are found in fish products, or if you're taking Mm -hmm. a fish oil supplement, those are real popular. And we're not going to talk about the chemistry of that, but but everybody knows the term omega-3 and Mm omega-6. All right, what about other essential fatty acids? Well, then you're getting into differently. You have DHA and EPA, which are both omega-3, and they are correlated with improvements in cardiometabolic health. Um, They have anti-inflammatory properties, although that's been debated. Um, Go ahead. And how do we make sure we get enough of those if we're just in a normal diet? Do you recommend a fish oil supplement, or you like to just... Stan talks about just eating salmon two or three days a week, and you get enough from those. We've been recommending that for... 30 years for salmon yeah Yeah. two to three times a week um you're not going to get mercury poisoning that's been debunked oh that's all yeah it's always bullshit so uh fats Mm -hmm. uh what so how are we going to manage the measurement of fats we can use our thumbs Mm -hmm. for most substances or you can use a tablespoon most people have a tablespoon don't necessarily everybody's got a thumb well that's not fair no (laughs) that guy without the thumb is pissed off it's not fair he's over there just insulted a huge swath of the population so you get let's say let's say he knows what he remembers what a thumb looks like though yeah so he's probably acutely aware of it Mm -hmm. since it's gone and that's about how much fat that's about seven grams of fat a thumb-sized portion, mm-hmm. tablespoons, about seven yeah. grams of fat. Maybe a little more if you have a huge thumb. it's butter yeah. or olive oil or coconut oil or anything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Oils. Give or take. Yeah. Oils, I prefer spoons. Right. Yeah. These are tablespoons. Since but. they don't, since there's not any way to hold an oil, yeah. a thumb-sized piece of oil. Yeah, so half tablespoon is one. Full right. tablespoon is two servings of fat, so that's going to give you about 14 grams of fat in a mm-hmm. tablespoon of olive oil. All right. Yeah. Or canola oil. 
right? Uh, coconut oil solid, so you could probably go with the thumb size there. Or if you know, if you're weighing it on a scale, that's always an option. You know, I see no reason to eat canola oil or sunflower seed oil or anything. They're yeah. just they're so unsaturated and they get stale real fast. Mm-hmm. And they don't have any flavor. And uh I just I just I would rather eat olive oil, good olive oil mm-hmm. or butter or bacon grease. <laughs> Uh, this is probably a good time to talk about why fat is not necessarily bad because it's fat. So, you know, you're sitting there to talk about bacon grease and egg yolks. Right, and, right. Uh, you know, eating this stuff is fine. It's, you know, most people don't need to eat a lot of it. You no. Know, you know, there's Especially if they're trying, again, yeah. because fat is the most efficient contributor of calories mm-hmm. to your macronutrient profile. That's and, right. And if you're going to, if you're going to, go hypocaloric fat's going to be the logical place up to, to a sacrifice point. calories because of the say of the satiety thing and satiety is 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 accomplished with a full stomach mm-hmm. and you can get full without a bunch of fat mm-hmm. absolutely true absolutely true so yesterday i did something that i hadn't done before when talking about this i started setting limits because there's a point to which cutting more fat becomes impractical. Just like if you're gaining weight, there is a point at which adding more carbs becomes impractical. Um, yeah. If you start eating six, seven hundred, eight hundred carbs, you're chewing it's all day. Too, it's too big a load on your gut, too. And it's the, just a bunch of digestion that needs and, to take place. And most of us are only going to store about 500 total grams of glucose as glycogen. That's mm-hmm. liver and muscle combined. The whole damn thing. Yeah. So seven, eight hundred carbs, I don't know that it's going to do a whole lot. And the more carbs you eat, the more you burn them off. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for that guy who's eating 500 carbs and he needs to gain some more weight, he's going to add more fat to his diet. He might need those eight eggs, you know, to gain more body sure. weight. And gaining body fat isn't necessarily a bad thing either, you know. Not if it's already too low. Yeah, no. precisely right. Guy walking around at 5% body fat because of the previous eating disorder or just because he's you know naturally got very low body fat could certainly stand to gain some body fat yeah and that's yeah yeah. really and really that is not to say that you need to walk around looking like you're pregnant we're not telling people to go get a 48 inch waistline but when you gain body fat you're not just gaining it on your midsection these people will be unable They've already stopped listening. Should I even finish the sentence? They're not listening. Um, You're gaining body fat around your joints and your connective tissues, Mm -hmm. too. Body fat's a good insulator. Yes. It's a cushion. It's a cushion. It's a rebounder. And remember, these... It's a structural component of a joint. Mm Mm-hmm. And if you don't have enough of it, guess what? Shit starts to hurt when you got Mm -hmm. a bar on your back. That's right. And it happens like clockwork. These skinny guys that try to squat three times a week and add weight to their squat complain of more joint pain than the fat guys. Right. Almost every time. Right. So, And let's just get this out in the uh, open here. mm -hmm. It is the natural state of human body composition is not 10% body fat. Okay, bodybuilding has restructured several people's minds in the wrong direction. All right, it is not natural to be as low as ten percent body fat. Being five percent body fat for a contest and having that displayed 
as normal human body composition is wrong. Right? Normal human body composition is no more 8% body fat than it is 30% body fat. And you people need to process this. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. It, if it was, why is it so damn hard to get there? Why do you, why is That's your, right. Why, is it, why, why the, does it take extraordinary meth, uh, means to, to, uh, to get down below 10% body fat because it's not normal. And why do people who previously don't have eating disorders start to develop symptoms of them when they start getting that low? That was something Carter talked about in the lecture yesterday. Right. He said when he got down to 135, he started getting a bunch of body image issues and a bunch of shit he never he, experienced before. He became before. crazy. Yeah. Right. Because, it's, uh, because you're subjecting yourself to a whole bunch of circumstances that your central nervous system is not designed to deal with. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not, humans don't do well in circumstances of privation, okay? If you're starving to death, either voluntarily or involuntarily, this is not metabolically optimal. You're going to go crazy. It's not psychologically optimal. It's not physiologically optimal. There's a lot of things wrong with that. And if, this is why... Anorexia nervosa is a disease process. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's so a, yeah. get the idea that everybody needs to have washboard abs and veins on their deltoids. Get that out of your mind. There are a few people who are born with that level of subcutaneous body fat in as a, as a general tendency. But that's not normal. It's not species wide and it's not good mm-hmm. to be that to be that low in body fat people don't do well at eight percent people do better at 15 percent and the guys that get down to eight seven six percent for shows will tell you the exact same yeah. thing you said that, right. that, that they do not stay there and it's for the they, purpose of competing they, they don't stay there because they can't stay there they can't stay there. they can't they can't stay there. we have another coach um, who got himself down to 10% because he just wanted to do it, take a picture, and never, ever do it again. And right. he said at the very end of that, he's like, I forgot what he said he saw, but he saw some sort of junk food, and he's like, I just started eating it nonstop, and I, it was like an out-of-body experience. I didn't know why I was doing it. <laughs> it's involuntary. He just, involuntary. He said he was action. watching himself do it, and he's like, I couldn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it makes, you, it makes you nuts, doesn't it? The human body has oh, mechanisms to protect against this. Okay, yeah. so let's sum up quickly. Yeah. We've, we've talked about protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Let's mm-hmm. sum up this wide-ranging, I guess you could call it, discussion. There's probably a different term some people would use for it than that. Uh, let's sum up this novice or, or the, the nutritional linear progression. Shall we? So you're going to start with protein. Move on to carbs and vegetables, mm-hmm. and then adjust fat. And when you're at each one of these, proteins typically addressed maybe in a week or two, mm-hmm. depending on the person. Once you get to carbs and fat, that's where it becomes kind of gray, depending on the uh, priority. So the weight loss guy is going to have to subtract carbs at some point later after he's subtracted fat. 
The weight gain guy may have to repeat the carb step several times over until he's getting some good training in and he starts gaining some weight. Um, and the fat guy um, may eventually need to add fat because he's added too many carbs. So once you get beyond protein, that's where it kind of becomes gray and you have to alter it, you know, based mm. on the person. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, this is a this is an excellent way to think about uh, your approach to nutrition as you approach your training. Uh, when we start training, the the basic premise of our approach to training is to find out where you are now. How strong are you on the major structural exercises? Do them. Learn to do them correctly, and then we're going to measure how much weight you can do the first workout. And then the process begins, and that process is to add weight to the bar every time you train. And the amount of weight you add to the bar will vary in proportion to the amount of muscle mass used in each one of these exercises. You may add 10 or 15 pounds every workout to your deadlift for a while. You'll add 10 maybe seven and a half pounds to your squat every workout for a while. The bench will go up five pounds. The press will only go up to two and a half pounds, even at first. And this is, this is reflective of the amount of muscle mass that each one of these exercises uses during the execution of the full range of motion of the exercise. But what we do is we apply the process of finding out where you are and then incrementally increasing the amount of weight you use to force an adaptation. We're going to apply a stress, an incrementally increasing amount of stress from which you will recover to produce an adaptation which is stronger. All right? So how does the nutritional linear progression look like in that context? Well, when the guy comes into his first workout, He's not expending a whole lot of calories. He's not requiring a whole lot of resources because he barely knows how to move with a barbell. Right. He needs to eat enough protein right off the bat because... Because right. the stress requires recovery. Yeah. So that's the first thing we address. We ramp the protein up the fastest. And then as he goes along and things start getting harder, he has to eat more and more carbs, more and more fat. But you start with carbs first because carbs facilitate the actual training event. Right. Protein primarily has a recovery role in all this. Carbs helps during the workout, then it helps after the workout by refilling those glycogen stores. Mm-hmm. So that's why we address carbs second. So we address protein first for the recovery aspect. We address carbs second for the training aspect. Mm-hmm. And then if the person needs to lose weight, we start adjusting fat. The person needs to gain weight or adjusting fat down. We start right. reducing fat intake. If the person needs to gain weight and he's eaten a sufficient amount of carbohydrates to where it's becoming impractical to eat more, then he needs to add more fat to his diet to gain more weight. Okay. And so proteins for recovery, carbohydrates are for training, mm-hmm. and fat is for adjusting body composition. Mm-hmm. That's briefly. Perfect. Okay. Uh, I think that's a, a real good way to think about this. And uh, uh, If you're sufficiently interested in this, I'd invite you to look on the events calendar and, and we'll be offering, uh, seminars with Robert and, and Will Morris will be doing 
what we call recovery seminars that investigate various aspects of both nutrition and injury rehabilitation. And we we're doing these together because they kind of seem to fit. They're very uh, interesting topics that people who have been training uh, for possibly a longer period of time are become interested in. If you're interested enough to keep training over two or three years, you're interested in these these things as well. You know, dealing with injuries is a very important part of managing your training and dealing with your diet's a very important part of managing your training. Uh, so if you're interested in these things, find an event and and let's get you set up so you can learn from the pros. Robert, thanks for being here. Thanks for coming again to Wichita Falls, your second home here in North America. And thank you for joining us on Starting Strength Radio. We'll see you next time.